Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, July 27th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the first case of monkeypox is confirmed in Mississippi. What officials have to say about the new health emergency. And the chair of the state Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee calls for a federal investigation into TANF fraud. Plus, how one group is trying to fight the mental health stigma in the black community. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Monkeypox has reached the Magnolia State. The Department of Health confirmed the first case this week in a resident who contracted the disease out of state. Nationally, over 4,600 cases have been reported, and state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says more Mississippi cases are possible. It is likely that we will see uh, additional cases of monkeypox identified in the state. Um, Currently, we have not Uh, determined that there is any transmission uh, as a result of this case to any other Mississippians. Uh, Monkeypox is a viral infection that is transmitted through um, direct person-to-person contact, either through direct contact with the infectious rash or with scabs or with body fluids, but it can also um, be transmitted through respiratory secretions through prolonged close contact that can include things like kissing or cuddling or even sex, Um, but it can also be transmitted through um, contact with items or materials that have had direct contact or been contaminated by the fluid from those infectious rashes, like things like towels or or linens. Uh, And so there are multiple ways to get monkeypox. Dr. Byer says those who do contract the disease can experience a number of symptoms. The severity can range from person to person, but it could take at least a week for someone to realize they've been infected. The incubation period is usually one to two weeks, and and once an individual uh, develops symptoms, it usually starts as as fever. It can start as flu-like symptoms, muscle aches, but typically will progress to to a rash that can look like lots of different things. It can start out as flat, but it can also be um, uh, blisters or it can look like uh, pimples. And and typically it will be 
in several parts of the body. It can start on the face, but it can also be in the extremities, on the hands. It can be in the in the genitals. And for some folks, it can be a, a very painful rash. And during this time, when a person starts developing symptoms, especially when they have the rash, they can be infectious or contagious to other people that they come in contact with. And uh, the symptoms usually last um, it can be anywhere from, from two to four weeks, but a person is contagious until that rash completely resolves. There are tools to prevent infection in those who are considered close contacts. But Byers says those resources are limited and it will be focused on contact tracing and surveillance for the time being. We've received some vaccine in the state uh, that can be used to help prevent monkeypox for those people who've been exposed to it. Um, But we've received very limited doses. The priority that we want to reserve those doses for is for those individuals that we identify as known or uh, contacts through our public health investigation. So those people that we identify that are contacts to a known monkeypox case, we can provide vaccination and that can help prevent Uh, those individuals from developing infection. We're also looking at expanding the utilization of the monkeypox vaccine to individuals who may have had exposure or individuals uh, in the last 14 days who may have been um, uh, in an area where there is no transmission and uh, have had multiple sexual partners. We're working on that, but remember we have so few doses right now that it's very hard for us to expand our vaccination efforts up uh, beyond uh, trying to make sure that we vaccinate those known uh, contacts. Case counts in the U.S. continue to grow. Dr. Byers makes it clear that all residents share risk in contracting the disease, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. Anybody who has direct exposure to an individual with monkeypox is at risk for infection. Uh, regardless of your gender, regardless of your sexual orientation. Now, because of the fact that this can be transmitted so easily through direct skin-to-skin contact, and certainly in the United States and globally, we have seen uh, many of the cases among uh, men who have sex with men, that doesn't mean that that is the only population that can be at risk for infection. And so it's important for us to understand that anybody Uh, can get monkeypox. Monkeypox has been deemed a global health emergency by the World Health Organization. Cases have been reported in 77 different countries, 71 of which have not historically reported the disease. Coming up, the chair of the state Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee calls for a federal investigation into TANF fraud. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, there's information you can use to help maintain a healthy lifestyle. Just search for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. 
An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi Today first reported the dismissal of Brad Piggott following the attorney's move to subpoena records from the University of Southern Mississippi Athletic Foundation. It's the latest in a nearly three-year saga spent on misspent welfare money, and it's prompting the chair of the state Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee to express his desire for a federal investigation. Democrat Hob Ryan tells our Michael Guidry a Mississippi-led investigation opens up too many questions. The reason the funds have flexibility is to be able to find people who would like to work, and there are plenty of them, and try to overcome the obstacles that are there so that individuals can work and earn a living, which many of them want to do and I think society would like for them to do. That's why these funds have flexibility. Now, during the Phil Bryant administration, apparently the thought was, what these folks really need is a pep talk from a wrestler or a pep talk from a retired NFL player. Or maybe what we need to do is take these funds and invest them in some magic potion. I don't care if the magic potion works. I don't care if these people make speeches or don't make them. The initial issue is who on earth thought this was a proper or useful use of the taxpayers' funds? How on earth is this nonsense going to help someone who's trying to get a job, get a job? How is this going to care for someone who simply can't work? Uh, But beyond that, my opinion is the solution for all of this is for the President of the United States to actually appoint a United States attorney for the Southern District of Mississippi, and let's let the, the federal government investigate this. As long as the investigation is done by people connected with the state of Mississippi, there are going to be endless questions about who's protecting who. There's some comment that that Governor Bryant himself was supposed to be a whistleblower, which, I mean, where do you even start? Um, And there's so many connections and so many appearances of connections that even if, in assuming everyone on the state level is acting properly, uh, it's going to be one question after another. And the long-term solution is for the United States Attorney's Office to head up this investigation and to proceed in the federal courts. That's what I would do. Uh, Can you take us back to uh, when the policy was being framed and deliberated and, and going through the legislature that set up this system of block granting that basically put this money, this, these TANF funds, in the hands of the Department of Human Services and then through them, uh, organizations like Families First, where this fraud matriculated? The concept was, and I was not intimately involved in this, but generally speaking, the concept was to allow more flexibility in providing people who want to work methods of overcoming some of the obstacles they have. Uh, Some people have problems with transportation. 
some people have been out of work so long they they have problems with just clothing, uh, their their children to take care of, relatives to take care of. And so the, the the general thought behind the flexibility and the block grants was this will allow someone to tailor the benefits to what someone needs so this individual can can get back and get to work. It's what a number of states have done, and conceptually, that makes sense to me. But generally speaking, uh, things are handled in the executive branch, and although the legislature has some oversight responsibilities, it's really not the case that we can investigate every single agency every single day. Right. You know, we're we're approaching the last session of this term, um, of this four-year term for all of the legislators. Uh, based on everything that's happening, is there is there an appetite to 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 look at this structure and and how uh, TANA funds reach those who who need it? Because um, you know, anyone who's looking at this scandal and and how it is further developing, uh, the numbers show very very few people who need TANF funds are receiving TANF funds while many people who don't need them are funneling them through other means which these investigations are are revealing? Well, I think the first step was the appointment of Mr. Anderson as head of the agency. And I don't want to get involved in this recent uh, uh, question about Mr. Paget and his tenure and all of that. I think Mr. Paget and Mr. Anderson are both good and people of high integrity. But having someone at the agency like Mr. Anderson who believes in the uh, mission of the agency is is what we need and that's what we have. But you're okay with maintaining that um, if the right leadership is in place? Well, I think the difficulty is this. You've got to look at what can actually pass the legislature. And there are some things I would do that I don't think would pass the legislature. There's also the problem that we have of having uh, so many rules, regulations, and safeguards that it makes impossible for anybody to function. So uh, it's a quagmire to try to figure out what exactly uh, we could do and what, what sort of changes we could make. Again, I think the major change is to have someone in charge of the agency who actually believes in the mission of the agency and is not trying to funnel money to cronies. If you were to kind of grade uh, the state's success rate at using federal funds uh, to assist needy families, as as, as TANF uh, indicates, temporary assistance for needy families, uh, how, how would you, as the chairman of the Public Health and Welfare Committee, uh, rate uh, our ability to meet those people and their needs? I think that historically we've done a very poor job. Historically, we have been so obsessed with the notion that somebody somewhere might get $10 when he's not entitled to it that we've overlooked these millions of dollars that are being squandered. And more importantly, from year to year, there, there are large amounts of money which could be used more efficiently to help alleviate problems that people are have, having and address address the needs of people uh, who have problems so that they can get jobs if they can and hold them if they can. Uh, money is intended to lift people out of poverty. 
the money is intended to help people who are struggling. And it's, it's federal money. That's what it's there for. That's what it needs to be used for, not to hire retired athletes to make speeches. Democrat Hob Ryan chairs the state Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee. Coming up, how one group is trying to fight the mental health stigma in the black community. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The 988 crisis line is meant to expand the range of emergency assistance to more directly help those facing mental health crises or substance abuse struggles. But some members of the black community may be reluctant to use the hotline due to a stigma about how police and courts respond to mental health challenges. So Centennial Wembley, executive director of NAMI Mississippi, is heading up the organization's outreach effort by recruiting people who have stories with positive outcomes. She tells MPB's Rhonda Dunaway, this stigma starts young and is slow to be addressed. For African-Americans, even young children, they often show their symptoms as anger or um, it comes out in different ways because we've been taught that you don't show those cracks and the community shouldn't see that and you act a certain way when you leave your household. So if a child is acting out at school, a lot of times it's just this is a bad child. However, that child grows up and they're continuing to act out, and it all stems from not getting the help that they needed as a young child. So, for instance, a child may have some type of learning disability, and then they start to have other struggles because their self-esteem is down because they can't learn like everyone else. And then that affects their mental health. But all of this is like the perfect storm, and as they come up and they grow up, they lose hope in themselves because no one's told them, oh, some of this might be mental health, and there's a way to fix this and work on this. So then the cops are called when that person acts out or there is an incident where that young adult or that child at the school is showing aggression or perceived as angry when some of the symptoms of mental health can show up as anger. So if if there's a distrust in the black community for um, mental health, how are you overcoming that stigma? How are you doing that now? So our organization, we are not necessarily peer support specialists. However, everything that we do is peer-led, meaning everything that we offer is led by someone who lives with a mental illness or someone who has a mental illness. And because of that, the empathy is real. When we show up or we talk to someone, the empathy is always there. So what we try to do as an organization is we go out to schools and to um, the crisis intervention classes and we talk to everyone that will listen and share our journeys about mental health and what has happened and help to make the changes 
in the processes that are necessary. For instance, um, just how we launched 988, there's a lived experience committee that's telling the individuals who are responsible for making sure 988 works in the state. We're on that committee saying, hey, this is what the individuals really need because we've been there. We know how this system works and we know what will work best. So to kind of combat the stigma in the African-American community, we're having to, well, our organization is asking individuals to share their stories. The more stories that are positive outcomes that are shared in the community, the better. Because what's happened is in the past, there have been stories passed down that were not so great. So the only way to change that is for individuals who actually had a successful experience or had a good experience to share and to help walk those other individuals through the process. And that's what the peer specialists are for. Um, the first certified peer specialist is supposed to make sure that that individual understands what is going on and walk them through the process. And how are our church communities? Um, because I know um, in the black community, the church does a um, is present in um, a lot of the things that um, black folks have to overcome. And I am just wondering how are there church communities that are stepping in um, that are involved in any way in helping overcome the stigma of um, mental health or, you know, ha- needing or having mental health issues in the family? Yes, there are um, churches because what's happening is for years and decades, the churches are where African-Americans go when there's a problem. They go for prayer. They go for help. They go for guidance. Well, we understand that. And what we have on a national level is a um, program called Faith Net, which teaches our pastors how to address individuals when they have those problems. And on the other side of it, in our state, we are working to give them the resources and the correct numbers to call to make sure that when someone comes to them and they realize this, you know, this is a little bit bigger than I can handle, then they know what to do. So on August 26th and 27th, we're actually hosting a national conference, but we're partnering with NAMI National. And from that conference, we'll actually launch NAMI FaithNet. And what FaithNet is is... um, a partnership between the faith community and NAMI that helps them talk to the community about mental health and be pillars of the community because it all goes together. Individuals who live with a mental illness, they need support. And when they look for support, they look to their church. So why not give that church what's needed to be the best support system ever? And that that's our goal. Some churches, honestly, are still not accepting of it, but... After COVID, I don't think anyone could honestly say that they don't see the mental health challenges that individuals are having around them. Well, uh, Satania Wembley, thank you so much for uh, talking to me today uh, about the new 988 uh, rollout. Anytime. You can call me anytime you need. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.